Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Spring deals at Ross will have you saying, it's a yes for me. Say yes to trending looks like tube tops, dad shorts, and miniskirts for less than online, or vintage tees and beach shorts for a weekend getaway. With all the styles to choose from, there's a yes around every corner. Because saving money and looking good is what you do. It's a yes for you and your bank account. Hit up Ross for your certified yes for me moment. Did you see? My new book, Embrace Your Almost, is officially out in the world, and I can't believe it's available to you anywhere books are sold. You can grab it from Amazon or Target or Barnes & Noble or Books A Million. There's some special editions out there, too. Target has an exclusive edition. Barnes & Noble and Books A Million both have signed editions. And you can also get it at local independent bookstores. Anywhere books are sold, you should be able to find it. So if you are walking through a season of unmet expectations or disappointment or broken dreams or waiting or uncertainty, this book will bless your life. If you are not in one of those seasons, but you're just not entirely sure what's next for you, this book will bless your life. And if you have a loved one or a friend or a sister who's walking through a season like that, who's dealing with unmet expectations or broken dreams or uncertainty or waiting, this book will be such a great gift for her or something to pass on to her. So if that sounds like something you need or something a loved one in your life needs, grab a copy. Grab a copy from Amazon. Grab a copy from Barnes & Noble, from Target, from anywhere books are sold. I cannot wait to hear what you think. And I cannot wait to not only get this message in your hands, but also for you to pass on this message and share it because I believe it's more than a message. It's a movement. So as you listen, as you go about your day, I would love for you to put it in order, grab a copy and start reading as soon as it arrives at your door. So that's like one category of women who knew that they were under eating and wanted to get out of that. And then the other category of women were honestly people that just had no idea. And they were like, what do you mean I'm only eating 800 calories a day? Like I thought I was eating way more than this because I think what happened with our culture like a few years ago was this idea of volume eating. Mm-hmm. So like, mm-hmm. I think this is why a lot of people are attracted to, I'm not going to speak for, you know, I'm not going to speak for people that I haven't talked to about this, but a lot of my core students, the reason that they were attracted to, let's say like a plant-based diet mm-hmm. is because they were already struggling with this idea of like calories are bad, which is what Jordan was alluding to earlier. And so the plant-based diet, it's like, Oh, cool. I can eat a huge plate of lettuce mm-hmm. <laughs> and like be able to trick my mind into believing that I'm eating a large volume of food. And really, I'm not. I'm not at all. You're listening to She with Jordan Lee Dooley, a personal development podcast for the everyday woman. Come invited, leave ignited. Here's your host, Jordan Lee Dooley. Welcome to She. I'm so excited to have you on. Thank Thank you you so much for having us. Uh, Thrilled to have you. This has been something I've been looking forward to for a long time. I found your podcast uh, a couple months back and I've just loved it and shared about it on Instagram because I think everybody needs to hear everything you guys have to share. Um, But I think to start off, it would be helpful to just hear kind of a quick overview of your health journeys. Corey, I know you kind of started your journey from what I've heard through or with endometriosis and Fallon with Hashimoto's. 
what did your healing journeys look like? Either one of you can go first. I know it's kind of hard when there's two, but um, what did your healing journeys look like and how did they lead you to the work that you do now through your podcast, through Corey, through your course, Fallon, through your meal plans? Um, Fallon, if you want to go first and then we'll just kind of go from there, I'd love to hear an overview of your journey that's led you to where you are and what you do now. Yeah, I would love to. So I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's not long after the birth of my second son. And he also was just having really severe health issues at the time, you know, skin issues, um, eczema, allergies. And I was dealing with a whole host of symptoms, you know, anxiety, joint pain, you know, mood swings, low thyroid, low energy. I mean, all the things that come with an underfunctioning thyroid. And we saw so many practitioners and just could not get answers. You know, when I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's, the answer was basically, here's some medication. You'll take it forever. That's about it. Um, and with my son, you know, every time we saw an allergist or, um, you know, some sort of specialist, they basically just told us, you know, there's not a food component. Here are some steroids and some antibiotic cream. And that's basically all we can do. And I just knew that that was not the answer. I knew that there was something more. And so we started diving into the food component and we, we started by doing, you know, kind of the, the paleo whole 30 AIP route, which did bring a lot of relief and healing in that season. You know, we, I ended up spiraling into really, really extreme restriction though. And, you know, while we did see a lot of major progress from just simply switching to a whole foods diet, you know, prioritizing non-toxic living, you know, kind of the basics of what we would consider kind of like functional wellness is what we sort of started with. But, you know, while we saw improvement, my diet in particular just continued to dwindle down (laughs) and I got down to, you know, seven to 10 foods in several different seasons. And I couldn't get out of that hole. It just felt like I was cutting and cutting and cutting. You know, I was convinced that every symptom that I had was based on a food intolerance. And so the goal for me was remove the food that removes the symptom. And then I just kind of stay in that space of restriction. And that's how I I live. Mm -hmm. And it just got to a point where, you know, I think I weighed like 105 pounds at one point and I'm five, five. So that's not, that's not real short, you know, like that's a pretty low weight to be as a five, five grown woman. And you could just see it all over my face, all over my body. I was just undernourished. I was um, miserable. I was not thriving. And so there came a point where I just, you know, I, I kept trying to chase after this idea of whole foods and, you know, paleo and AIP and cutting more foods and it just wasn't getting me anywhere. And so I, I was really um, just thankful to stumble into the world of brain rewiring. And so I did a program called the Dynamic Neural Retraining System that really helped kind of calm my sort of trauma response, honestly, at that point is really what it was. I had such a disordered eating. And so I dove into these brain rewiring principles that helped my limbic system calm down and it helped me stop, you know, seeing food as the enemy. And so that really skyrocketed my healing, but I was still trying to approach wellness within the framework of food sensitivities. And I was still trying to approach it in the framework of, you know, kind of a paleo, again, whole 30 AIP style diet. So you know, no dairy and you're not consuming a whole lot of fruit. And, you know, there's all these rules and regulations around it. And I just wasn't eating a lot, to to be honest. Like I was eating really low calorie because I was eating primarily vegetables. You know, there's kind of a movement in that sphere that, you know, your plate is like three quarters veggies. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I did. So I'm looking back and I'm like, I was eating no carbohydrates. I was eating so few calories. And I just, I just couldn't get out of this hole of sickness. I just couldn't figure out, you know, what the right answer was. And, um, I, you know, the, the Lord really gave me the gift of just expedited healing in a season after my third son was born. And it really looking back at it, it wasn't even necessarily anything that I did. It was just kind of a gift that the Lord gave me and my diet opened up a lot. Um, I lost a lot of those food sensitivities. I think, you know, through kind of the Lord's grace and also just all those years of pursuing like 
bone broth and gelatin and, you know, all of those really gut supportive foods. And in that journey, I um, got connected to Corey and came on to her blog talking about, you know, healing my food sensitivities and just our whole journey of, you know, paleo and AIP and, you know, my son's eczema that we had healed him from. And so the, the two of us got connected in that way. And I started kind of seeing the information Corey was sharing about healing the metabolism. And as I dove kind of more into that sphere and into the idea that, you know, maybe you can have dairy with Hashimoto's and maybe you don't have to be on AIP forever. And I was quite shocked and offended at first. Honestly, I like wore my restrictions like a badge of honor. And so to learn that I'm, I may be, yes. Oh, for sure. You know, I just felt so proud of myself for like, I haven't had coffee in five years, but I cried every time my husband drank coffee because I wanted it so badly. And I just, I was not thriving with the very limited foods that I had. Anyway, so, you know, Corey and I connected and I started kind of seeing this information that really went against the idea that I had about wellness and about food. And that just very quickly spiraled into finding healing, you know, by incorporating more quality carbohydrates, by adding dairy back into my diet. You know, I came off my thyroid meds within a few months and, you know, lost the daily back pain that I had been having, you know, the daily joint pain. I was having autoimmune flares like once a week. You know, I remember basically all I could do at the end of every day was, you know, use my little like massage um, chair that my husband got me or, you know, sit in the bath. Like my body was just in so much pain and I didn't have energy. I didn't have capacity to do anything extra and just small shifts of supporting my metabolism just skyrocketed my healing. And I I knew probably for years before I launched, you know, what's now my business and my my recipe books and my meal plans, I knew that the Lord was going to use my journey of of food somehow. And I never knew how it was going to play out. I had this like really embarrassing rinky dink blog for a while. I was like just trying. I just like wanted to share the information of like holistic healing with people. And it wasn't until I found kind of more this realm of food freedom and healing the metabolism that it was like, oh, this is it. And so I started creating meal plans to kind of help people see, you know, what does a balanced day of eating actually look like? You know, what does it look like for me to get enough protein and, you know, to have good quality carbohydrates? And so that was kind of the the launching pad for, um, you know, my business today, just knowing that, you know, I had seen such radical change through eating real food and eating enough. And I just knew that I wanted to uh, share that with other women. Mm, so good. I can relate to so much of your story with cutting out another thing and another thing. And at one point I was like, mm-hmm. I'm gluten-free and dairy-free and soy-free and sugar-free and fun-free and everything-free. <laughs> exactly. Point. And I got to the point where my mom's like, do you feel like you're in a food prison? I was like, yes, 100%. Yeah. Like I was also kind of <laughs> proud of it, you know? And I totally, exactly. I mean, I was like this whole pro-metabolic thing at first. I was like, this is offensive and weird. And then I got into it. And yes. I was like, oh, maybe <laughs> I'm offensive and weird. I don't know. But no, I totally, I totally relate in so many ways. That's, that's crazy, but awesome. And so encouraging. Thank you for sharing that story. Cause what you're doing now of really course. does make sense. And I even think it's encouraging what you shared about how it was like an embarrassing little blog at first, because we always start somewhere. <laughs> Usually our mm-hmm. first attempts at doing something that we feel like we're called to do isn't the thing. It isn't like right. what works, but we have to start somewhere. Mm-hmm. And I just always love to encourage women with that as they are pursuing their dreams and li- like trying to mm-hmm. walk in their God-given calling. So thank you for sharing that. Corey, I'd love yeah, to hear a little bit of your journey as well. Yeah. And I, I do want to say one thing to the point you made about just like being in a food prison and just thinking it was so weird to not be in that. I think people are really terrified at the idea of freedom and don't know what to do with it. And I've experienced that myself and just was like, what do you mean? I can just operate and not have like this black and white list of rules. And it's just a huge part of your healing journey to be able to step into that 
into that freedom. But um, yeah, my journey, this is a little deeper than people probably thought they were signing up for today, but I feel like my journey actually started with disconnecting to my femininity. Um, and I think that my whole childhood and leading into my young adulthood, I was just really, really operating out of like a lot of masculinity. And I was a big tomboy and I didn't know all the pieces that were happening on like why I was so disconnected to my femininity, mm. femininity at the time. And I didn't, I didn't discover that until I went through therapy in the last like couple of years. Mm. But what, what, what I was realizing what was happening is, I mean, down to like the career path that I chose, which was um, working with male elite athletes. I was in the sports conditioning mm. field and strength and conditioning. And I was working with athletes and I was just like driving my body to the ground. And I loved you know, performance and athletics. And, um, I thought I wanted to be like a professional football coach at one point. Like what? I, I, just, I that was, that was, I was My just so like, great. <laughs> I was so like, I, I honestly deep down had this aversion to like female community and like being, being a woman. And, um, I've healed so much of that. And I honestly feel like that is what started my, uh, journey disconnecting to my body and getting into endometriosis because I, number one, I, I got on birth control whenever I got married because it felt too vulnerable for me to like learn my cycle. Like, like just like too, I just, I can't possibly put up with that. And so I'm just going to like ignore that I have a period and just get on birth control and just continue to go about my business. So I was working as a sports performance coach at the time when I got extremely um, sick. And I was actually going through, I was bodybuilding on top of being a sports performance coach and just on my feet all the time and just like barely sleeping and coping with alcohol on the weekend. And yeah, just like really just, uh, just such a disconnect to like how the female body was designed to thrive. And I just, yeah, I was just, I was just driving it to the ground. And so when I first had symptoms of endometriosis, and this is kind of like, what confirms to me, like just so how disconnected I was to my body. I went a full year, like suffering with those symptoms without being able to even talk about it. Like mm. only my husband knew I was suffering. Like I was like, I don't want anybody to know. Like, I don't, we're talking about my period here. Like I'm not going to talk about my period, like with my boss. And I feel like we had to like, cause I had to miss work a few times because of my cycle, just being on the bathroom floor and throwing up and just the word, if anyone's listening and has gone through endometriosis, it's just, uh, it's a lot. And I feel like I remember even having to make up excuses on why I couldn't come in. Cause like he was definitely not going to know it had anything to do with my menstrual cycle. Anyway. So a year into me, uh, really, truly suffering, I somehow got connected with this holistic practitioner. I was actually at a Bible study and I had shared, basically it was like the first time I was publicly sharing like what I was going through in a group of women and somebody came up to me in Bible study, like, and I, this is just why I'm so passionate about like people in a church community being able to point back to health and lifestyle and physiology when someone is suffering. She was like, everything you're describing sounds like really severe estrogen dominance and really severe, like adrenal fatigue. And like, I was like, what are you even talking? Like, what do you, what is that? Like, what do you, what are you even talking about? And she was like, well, here's the name of a holistic practitioner. And I was like, okay, great. And so I w- actually went to, in OB the next day and got, that's when I actually got diagnosed with endometriosis for the first mm-hmm. time. And but I was just so scared of like that diagnosis. And I, again, I just like, didn't even want to know. I was just like, how do, how do I just ignore this? I remember the moment that I was like, this is not going to be my identity. Like I truly believe that God created the body to heal. And it was like such a Holy spirit thing. Mm-hmm. I got connected with the holistic practitioner. He 
within like two to three months, we were able to reverse all of my symptoms. And basically that is what led me to metabolic health because the symptoms that were coming up for me while we like really strategically attacked it with supplements, I wanted to learn like, how do I create the lifestyle for myself to never like regress back into this? Mm -hmm. Because I realized that like, they were like, there were such clear parts of my lifestyle that were leading me to these kind of imbalances. And anyway, so that's when I got into kind of more of the food piece of metabolic health. I'd always been interested in like metabolic adaptation and just like what our bodies do when you go on a diet, but I had never connected like the lifestyle piece and stress and physiology and nutrition and just like, and just how um, therapeutic food is and how beautiful it is. And Anyways, that's kind of where I'm at now. And I uh, developed an online course to kind of just share like what I've learned. It's just kind of like a compilation of a whole bunch of different research. And it's just been the biggest blessing. And that's where I'm at today. Well, I will just speak to that and say I decided to do your online course because I was honestly just curious. And also as like a course creator and business owner, I'm like, oh, I want to know what she's teaching. But also for my own journey, I was like, and I also need to know this stuff. And I just have to say like, it is so and I'm a big on, I'm big on like micro education, meaning like there's not 50 hours of material and it's like such a fair <laughs> to get through. And I just think you do, this course is delivered so well. So if you're looking for a place to start your healing journey, this can be great just for like bite-sized information that is digestible. You can, I think you can get through the course in what, like two or three hours. I mean, I literally like watched exactly. it as like cleaning one day and I was like, that's how I teach my courses too. And I'm like, this is so well done and so digestible and like easy to understand. And it just makes sense. You did such a great job with it. And I've used Fallon's meal plans. Like I feel like I'm like your biggest fan and biggest uh, <laughs> like like customer at this point because I'm just – and I want every woman to at least know about these resources. So you guys, definitely a course and some resources worth trying out with these two gals. Um, but all of that said, you guys do podcasting. You have your course, Corey, and then Fallon, you write meal plans and you've got some really helpful resources as well. And you teach a lot about how to eat in a way that restores your metabolism, mostly based off of what you guys have researched. And I really love that you guys basically serve as knowledge brokers. And I really think this is cool because <laughs> have you ever heard that term? Because I, I, I like love that term. I love it. Just because you have been able to go on your own journey. Then you go on this like deep mm-hmm. dive and you do all of this research and you speak with providers. I feel like we've all had these experiences in our own way. And then you're able to turn mm-hmm. around and say like, hey, friend across the table, here's the first book I would start with. Here's the basic mm-hmm. stuff to just like add into your diet. You don't have to have a PhD in this stuff to be a knowledge broker. And really, you've got so much experience and you do such a good job of breaking it down in a way anyone can understand. And it's just so well done. So all of that said, I know you teach a lot on that. Fallon, can you give a brief overview of what a pro-metabolic way, I don't want to use the word diet, just like way of eating or Mm -hmm. pro-metabolic lifestyle is and why it's important to support your metabolism? I would love to. I love that you set up that framework because I feel like Corey and I both always cringe at the word diet because we're like, no, that's exactly the opposite of what we're trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's a diet in the sense that like, yes, it's what you're consuming, but mm-hmm. it's not like a list of foods mm-hmm. that you have to abide by or else, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. uh, like so many other diets. It's like, this is the yes column. This is the no column. Right. That's really not what pro-metabolic eating is about. And the biggest driving factor of supporting your metabolism is eating food that has usable bioavailable nutrients, which just that means that your body is assimilating, absorbing, and using those nutrients in the best way. Um, and the 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 thing about that is that it's different than just the term nutrients, because the truth is, you know, things like spinach, kale, legumes, you know, they present a fantastic nutritional profile, but they're also coupled with things like anti nutrients, you know, like lectins, other compounds that make plant foods a little bit 
more difficult to absorb by our bodies. Mm. Um, so animal proteins, for example, are absorbed at nearly twice the rate of plant foods. Mm. So does that mean that we don't eat things like spinach or beans? No, but you know, the preparation, the ratio is really important. So really at its core, you know, anyone pursuing healing and metabolism or eating, you know, a quote pro metabolic diet is going to be prioritizing getting the most possible usable nutrients. Mm. So good. I love how you said that. It's like, it's not like we're going to avoid these things, but even just knowing how to better prepare them so that they're more available to your body and that your Mm -hmm. body can use them most effectively. It's just like one small tweak to how we do things can make such a difference. So I love that you mentioned that. Um, Corey, I'd love if you could speak into kind of following up on that, the kind of foods that support our metabolism, Um, just some examples and and things maybe we didn't think of. Totally. Well, I love how Fallon, you phrased the, um, the word nutrients and like really describing the difference between what would be nutrient available versus just having an impressive nutrient profile. Because when we're talking about like eating to support our metabolism, you can basically see your, when we're talking about like metabolism, we're actually talking about in like a, a minor way, um, kind of like the health of your thyroid as well, because your thyroid conducts your metabolism and your thyroid has an inverse relationship with your stress hormones. So essentially like supporting your metabolism is allowing your body to take stress off of your body and be able to like thrive in its biological design. And there's a lot of simple ways that we can do this. Number one is just simply balancing your blood sugar. Um, That's not something that I feel like I had a really good understanding of until I started studying like macronutrients and like pairing foods together. But if we think about, you know, protein, carbs and fats, which we can talk about more specifically in a second, obviously like pairing protein and carbs together um, with a little bit of fats added in there is allowing for your blood sugar to be balanced as opposed to like if you eat a carb by itself or eat protein by itself, you are setting your body up basically for a blood sugar um, spike or a drop in blood sugar. And whenever you're doing that, you're basically creating an environment where you are going to be running off of stress hormones like adrenaline and and cortisol. And so um, just like properly pairing foods together is just one of those really simple ways you can do that. So again, pairing a protein and a carb and a fat together, also eating frequently. So being able to wake up in the morning and not go hours and hours and hours and hours without eating, but actually prioritizing like a a moderate to big breakfast is also taking stress off of the body because our body doesn't run on thin air. It needs energy to be able to sustain ourselves. We are grown women and we are really burning a lot of energy whenever we are just like around the house. And so if we don't have energy in our bodies to be able to provide, um, you know, sustenance for our body to be able to sustain like what, what we're asking of our bodies, it's going to break down our own bodies to be able to provide that energy. So again, eating frequently, eating early in the morning, and then eating every, you know, two to four hours, depending on like where your blood sugar is at in the moment and like what is appropriate to you at the time. And then not being afraid of like carbs after dark, not being afraid to, um, I feel like maybe like five to 10 years ago, it became really popular to go like three hours or four hours after eating, um, just like completely fast until bedtime. And then you have a hard time sleeping and you're like, what's going on? And really your body is just asking for more fuel to be able to sleep because your body, you know, it goes through a lot of energy when it's sleeping. Mm. And then, um, you know, going into the specifics, this is where like, I feel like it was really eye opening. I don't know if Felon, you feel this way Uh, in Jordan as well. Just like this idea of like, what is healthy just because our culture says it's healthy. Like, okay, 
I need to eat like, you know, five big salads a day. Like, is that, is that healthy? Is kale the best choice? And, um, I think really learning about the nutrient availability, like what Fallon was talking about really opened my eyes to, oh my gosh, like our body actually does kind of have a preference as far as what it's able to absorb. And so animal proteins, as far as proteins are going to be the most bioavailable, most absorbable type of protein that is out there. And they're also loaded with um, metabolically supportive saturated fats a lot. Mm. Saturated fats were something that got really demonized, I guess. I mean, that probably started in the in the 40s, I think. We can even send you something that if people are wanting to look into like the history of like what happened with the saturated fat movement, mm. we can send you something to, to share with your your listeners. Yeah, but yeah, animal, animal proteins, um, saturated fats are so stable and nourishing and metabolically supportive to our bodies. And then and when we get over to the carbs, being able to actually use the carbohydrates and use them for energy is so important. So where we used to maybe like demonize um, fruit or fruit juices, these actually these are actually really pro-thyroid foods. And so um, fruits and roots, things that are below the ground actually have the lowest amount of uh, plant toxins when it comes to vegetables and then a fruit of a tree or fruit of a plant that's the that's the part of the plant that actually wants to be eaten and so again we're looking at like foods that are lowest in those anti-nutrients that actually like if we go out and we observe nature we can see actually want to be eaten as opposed to i don't know if you guys have ever looked at like an almond tree before or like a like a cashew tree before it is unreal the amount of effort that it goes like that like it would take to crack open even like one nut and then be able to just one nut and yet like nut butters and nut flours and nut milks like they're everywhere because we have the convenience and the machinery to be able to do it now but we have to think about like what is actually biologically appropriate for our bodies and nature is a really cool a cool clue to be able to see that across america bp supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. With two little kids, I do most of my shopping online now, but it can be so hard to shop for things like clothes online because I never know if I'm getting good quality until it arrives. The game changer, upgrading to high quality, affordable pieces from Quince. Now I have luxury essentials that transition from one occasion to the next, and I stayed on budget. Quince has so many options to choose from, like 100% Mongolian cashmere sweaters for $50, organic cotton sweaters, washable silk tops, and timeless 14 karat gold jewelry. The best part? All Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. One of my favorite items from Quince is the silk pajamas I got. They are so high quality, luxury pajamas, but not at a luxury price tag. And I just feel like they don't even compare to some of the other pajamas that I have bought online or that I've bought um, just at various different stores. And like these are 
incredible. <laughs> Indulge in affordable luxury by going to quince.com slash she for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's com slash she to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash she. Thrive Market is a go-to for all your grocery and household essentials, and the convenience of getting everything online then quickly shipped to your doorstep is a huge time saver. Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and sourcing methods. They restrict hundreds of ingredients across their food and cleaning categories, and you can use their on-site filters to suit your lifestyle needs. Whether you're looking for organic kid snacks, low-sugar alternatives, or gluten-free pantry essentials, you can curate your own shopping experience with just a few clicks. And when you shop Thrive Market, you are also helping a family in need with their one for one membership matching program. You join and they give. I use Thrive Market every single month. I get our dish detergent, dish soap, and various other just basic household essentials that are low tox and non-tox ingredients. And it is the easiest way to get all of my favorite clean items sent right to my door at an affordable price. I should add. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. Go to thrivemarket.com slash she for 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash she. Thrivemarket.com slash she. That was something I was going to ask about too. I wanted to just, when it comes to the kind of what you mentioned about flour or nut flours and nut milks and nut everything. I'm really curious, like, especially with nut milk, like the bioavailability of everything or biologically accurate or is that what you said? Appropriate, biologically appropriate. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So with that, you know, what I'm curious about is why, why do you think that, like, I've listened to your podcast, so I'm trying to like frame this appropriately, but I guess what I mean is a lot of nut milks exist. And then there's also the, like, the bioavailability of something like actual milk. Can you explain from your perspective, why do you think that we, if, because I hear sometimes people say like, well, we aren't supposed to drink milk, like human adults don't need milk. But I'd be curious, mm. like, what's your perspective on like, then why are we going and creating all of these like fake milks? You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> I would just be curious what your thoughts are on that. Um, Fallon, you want to take it? You want me to take it? Um, you go ahead. Yeah, I can chime in after. Yeah, I'll start. I mean, first of all, I do think it, and I actually talked about this in my course as well. I find it fascinating that the same people that are saying like milk is not an appropriate substance for our bodies are making replacement milks and like mm-hmm. still craving, craving the creaminess of it. Um, even like cheese, like if you, if you like walk into a grocery store, like how many milk alternatives are in a grocery store? And by the way, this has not come from any kind of like moral superiority. I was anti-dairy for like a very, very long time. And went, I think, yeah, yeah. We, I think we all, we've all been there before. And I think, um, I think I went about five years without consuming dairy as like, like nutritional support. I mean, like if I had like a little bit, I'd be like, you know, that's not going to harm me, quote unquote. But um, interestingly, I actually, the reason I started consuming dairy again, even though I, you know, Weston A. Price has some incredible research when it actually comes to like how nutritionally supportive milk is. But interestingly, my own journey was actually from craving milk so badly that I felt like I could not go another day without it. And this is after it being out for years and years and years. And so a lot of people talk about, I guess a lot of people in the anti-dairy kind of like train talk about how if you crave milk or if you crave cheese, it's something that you just need to get rid of. Like the craving is bad. Mm-hmm. And let me explain why you're craving that. And like, it's not appropriate. And really like what it is, is just an addiction to that food. 
and you just need to like suppress that. And trust me, like I, I totally believe that for, for many years, but I thought it was so interesting that it was such a, such a strong, um, craving that I had where I just like, I eventually just started experimenting with it. And, um, I was actually having like a little bit of blood sugar issues up until that point. And I feel like raw dairy, um, because of the bioavailable calcium in it was able to resolve a lot of the blood sugar issues that I was having. And then same with my son, my son was actually waking up like 10 to 15 times, um, at night, like every single night, like waking up a ton And the day that he started drinking raw dairy again, he started sleeping through the night and he's been sleeping through the night ever wow. since. And I find that, and I, and I understand that's anecdotal as well. I'm just like, Hey, that's just my experience. But it's been, you know, ever since having my course out and just seeing people experiment with raw dairy and be able to come off of like pharmaceutical lifelong medications, like just with the Im- implement implementing of raw dairy, especially thyroid meds. Mm-hmm. It just really speaks to number one, the bioavailability of the nutrients. Number two, the retinol. So like the animal vitamin A that is only available in animal products. Mm-hmm. Um, but number three, yeah, the the bioavailability of the calcium as well. I do not think that we have enough calcium in our diet. And so, yeah, with the nut milks, we are looking at like an extreme lack of the nutrients that we would be getting from milk. And um, I think that on top of that, we are talking about polar opposites as far as the fatty acid composite, uh, yeah, composition. So like the, what you would, the benefits that you would get from um, animal milk would be the saturated fats, right? And then you switch over to the nut milks and we're talking like really high concentration of polyunsaturated fatty acids, which we talk about in our podcast and we're, we can share a link with you, with your listeners if they're new to learning about like PUFAs for short, but PUFAs are very, and like they're very metabolically suppressive. Can you briefly explain what a PUFA, what PUFA stands for? Yes. Okay. So PUFA is polyunsaturated fatty acid. And if you think about the different types of fats, we have saturated fats, we have monounsaturated fats, we have polyunsaturated fatty acids. And essentially the polyunsaturated fatty acids, when you look at the actual chemical composition of what this is, it's actually the most, or I guess the least stable of all the fats, meaning that um, in the presence of oxygen and light and heat, it's actually susceptible to damage because it has a lot of those, we call them kinks. When it comes to the actual chains, like if you go Google a picture, it's better if you like see a visual in front of you. But if you look at a picture of like the actual compound of a saturated fat versus the polyunsaturated fat, you can actually see with your own eyes, like how unstable the polyunsaturated mm-hmm. fatty acid is. Mm-hmm. And so um, whenever we got into the anti-saturated fat politically correct nutrition, they were actually recommending like canola oil because it was, it was high in polyunsaturated fatty acids. And, um, and then like coconut oil causes heart disease. You know, we, we see this flip flop all the time. Um, but when we think about like what is actually, what would have been bio, I mean, just like look at our food history alone, like what actually would have been bio, biologically available to us as humans, mm-hmm. largely are saturated fats. Mm-hmm. Um, but Fallon, I don't know if you have anything you want to add on top of that. I think that was perfect. I mean, I just think, you know, going back to the cravings piece of it, because that's, you know, kind of the root of the question is like, why are people trying to recreate it? Yeah. And I think our body is smart. Our body is incredibly smart. Cravings are not there as something that's trying to, you know, like Corey said, hurt you, or it's not something that you have to like trick your body out of. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really important piece of this conversation. Like your body is asking for 
something like dairy, that's probably what it actually wants. It doesn't want, you know, a thousand like milked almonds. It actually wants milk and there's nothing wrong with that. (laughs) That was a big thing. That was a big hurdle for me to cross because, and even like when I first started reintroducing some raw dairy and stuff, like my skin was like, hello, what's going on? You know, I definitely was like, and then I was like, oh my gosh, did I make the wrong decision? And I just had to realize like, oh, maybe I need to add this back in in a more slow way. Like I just kind of was like, cool, mm-hmm. we're going to drink a lot of this because this uh, like once I, kind of, <laughs> once I understood the value of it and once I like kind of reevaluated what I had just accepted as like health advice of like, oh, yeah, like and not that it's wrong to be dairy free by any means, like zero judgment. I was dairy free for a long time. And especially mm-hmm. if it's like you have a true reaction or allergy to it, like, OK, maybe it's something to be aware of. But I mean – I think that I had just – I had such a hard time wrapping my head around like I've just been hearing dairy is bad for so long for like everything. Mm-hmm. And I then I started reading – I don't know. This is so funny. Have you guys read um, any of Joel, Joel Salatin's work out of curiosity? Oh, yes. Okay. So his book, which I just think the title is hysterical, The Wonderful Pigness of Pigs. <laughs> um, he has a whole <laughs> – I'm like, why did you title it that? We need some publishing help. But anyway, <laughs> he there's like a whole section in there about the history of milk and what led to pasteurization. And this, like, yes. and when you actually uncover that, you're like – because there's immediately – like whenever you say something about raw, people are like, oh, my gosh, right? And um, and I, even I reacted that way at first. I was like, really? You're just drinking it like straight from the cow? Um, and <laughs> But totally, like once I actually understood from a farming agricultural perspective of like Mm -hmm. why milk even began to be pasteurized and then how that became something we just accepted as commonplace and then the potential dangers and why – or not dangers, but like the downsides to that and why that actually can Mm -hmm. make milk upsetting to many people's guts and issues at least just like normal Mm -hmm. dairy. It's like – that was really for me where I was like, oh, that's where I I can now see – it's like raw dairy and just dairy in general aren't necessarily the same thing even Mm -hmm. um and so anyways point being i i kind of had a similar i I wanted to ask about that because that was something that i think in just the restrictive eating world and the all of that it's like we just accept across the board it's bad to have dairy and you shouldn't crave it Mm -hmm. when in reality things like raw dairy or grass-fed butter can actually be very nourishing it's just the understanding like why is most dairy and the dairy we buy in the store the way that it is and how can that actually maybe be part of the problem? Um, mm-hmm. And yeah. also like, and why are we, if we don't, if, we're, if it's not appropriate for us to be drinking milk or eating cheese, then why are we creating nut cheeses and nut milks and fake right. like an alternative version of it? So anyways, and then ironically, a lot of those things are high in the poofas that you mentioned. And I really appreciate too that you guys, you bring awareness to like, here's why poofas can be not something you want to eat in large quantities, but you're also not giving like, you're not like demonizing, like kind of, I think a lot of times in diet culture, it's like this food is bad and don't ever eat this. And it's more just like, I think you guys have a really healthy approach to where it's it's about freedom. And it's not about like, never touch that. It's just, hey, be aware and maybe don't eat it in copious amounts. And I think you do a really good job of of educating on that. But Corey, I think you were starting to say something. So I want to hear what you have to say too. Yes. I was just going to add one more thing to what you were talking about with the raw dairy thing, because I think when it comes down to cutting out an entire food and demonizing it as bad, we have to be really, really honest with ourselves and, and like look at the full big picture. And I, you totally brought that up in that in that conversation. And so why I like people like Weston A. Price, um, Dr. Ray Pete, who has really spearheaded a lot of like the metabolic health information and research that we pull from, they're always looking at the big picture. And like Dr. Ray Pete, he's been around for a long time, but he's always like, hey, let's look at the history because we can get really caught up in half truths Mm -hmm. and take it as our gospel if we're not looking at the big picture. And so when it comes to the raw dairy thing, I mean, the example of Weston A. Price's research alone, like people for years were like, we're not meant to 
consume dairy because what is it like eight, 70% of the population has like a lactose intolerance or whatever. And like, if you look at Weston A. Price's research, he was able to see that just by switching from pasteurized dairy to raw dairy, people were able to reverse their lactose intolerance completely. And so he was, he was just like, okay, we have to look at it. I believe that it's kind of like a half truth to call dairy bad when we're only talking about the pasteurized milk. And we can see historically how it's become increasingly hard for us to even access raw dairy in the first place. Like I live in Hawaii. It's quote unquote illegal to sell raw dairy here. And you have to like, like I'm looking on the black market. We're talking like, you're like, you're like calling people left and right to figure out like where you can even access this. And then you have to purchase it through a a herd share. And like, you have to go through so many loopholes just to access fresh raw food in the form that it was like created to yeah, be consumed. Wild. Um, you would think you were trying to get drugs or something. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And I think that that's just like very, my experience, even finding like trying to find raw dairy and also just like, just it, my whole experience with dairy has just been very telling to me of like, who's really in charge here and like, who's, who's in charge of putting this information out and like, what is the purpose behind it basically? Totally. Yeah, yeah. We could go down a whole rabbit hole of that, but uh, I <laughs> am right there with you, sister. Um, you know, I, I agree. And I think it is, it, it's just, I think if anything, like we could go down a lot, but what I want to encourage you as a listener is just to ask, be willing to ask why. Like when you get standard health advice or when there's just something that is the way that it is, be like, hmm, wonder why that is. And why, mm-hmm. do I, why do I think that's bad? Or why do I, you know, why do I accept that as mm-hmm. normal? Is it, is that actually beneficial? Whether that's something in pharmaceuticals or something with milk or anything else, like don't be afraid to be a question asker and a, and a critical thinker. And maybe you'll come to the conclusion of like, no, I, I'm good with the way it is. Like, this is fine, you know, but okay, great. At least you were willing to go outside the comfort bubble and ask why, you know, and you may actually discover mm-hmm. that there's things that you don't necessarily understand and that you want to explore more. And that's where most of us found ourselves at one point or another. I'd love to hear too briefly on diet culture. I want to touch on this before we wrap up because I think when we think about any type of food that we're eating, like we like we mentioned earlier, like the word diet just immediately comes with this idea of like lists of yeses and nos. Um, but I'd love if you can share what the harm of diet diet culture can be, especially with even like specific like quote unquote like healthy or healing diets like paleo or Whole30 or keto. Like I would just love your initial thoughts on that, Fallon, if you want to start and then Corey, if you want to add anything, I think that would be great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd love to. I, I really feel like this has become a large majority of my platform at this stage in my life is mm-hmm. actually talking about healing diet culture and the potential fallbacks that it does have. So, and, and again, this is somebody, you know, this is coming from somebody who was wrapped up in this diet culture for five or six years. I mean, really religiously, you know, I was in this world for a long time and I walked away with it, first of all, with really unnecessary and extreme food fear. Mm-hmm. Um, at this yeah. point, I mean, I can say with confidence, I, I had disordered eating. I had really, really disordered eating because my view of, fu- of food was just so skewed. It was so categorized. Um, and, you know, the other big thing is it really can lead to, first of all, under eating. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you're cutting out so many different food groups, a lot of the time it doesn't leave a whole lot left, you know. Um, and then mm-hmm. nutrient deficiencies, you know, if we're let, going back to the milk piece, mm-hmm. let's say we take out a lot of animal products or even just dairy. Mm-hmm we're missing some really critical nutrients there. Like Corey said, we're missing those fat soluble vitamins Mm -hmm. in a, you know, really, really good source. We're missing a lot of good calcium from milk. Mm -hmm. Um, And any food group that you cut out is going to present nutrient deficiencies. Mm -hmm. So 
you know, let's look at keto, for example. You know, we we see people transition to keto a lot of time because they really want to lose weight. You know, that seems to be the biggest drawing factor of keto is weight loss. Well, here's the question. What type of uh, what you know type of weight are you losing? Because keto is going to rapidly deteriorate your muscles. It may not be that you're losing fat. It may be that you're losing your muscle composition because you are taking out um, you know that good quality like glucose that your body functions off of. You know, biology 101 is that our cells run off of glucose. You know, carbohydrates are our body's primary and preferred source of fuel. If you look at things like you know Whole30, again, it's really really reducing those carbohydrate sources, it's creating these unnecessarily rules and regulations around food. I mean, every diet, you know, kind of has its major, major drawbacks. Um, And Corey and I actually ended up doing a podcast episode on exactly this, you know, just the healing diet culture and what are the fallbacks of specific diets. And that's in our season two, if you want to go find that on the Freely Rooted podcast. Um, And then the other big thing to me, it it really can lead to this binge and restrict cycle, Mm -hmm. because that's just what happens when we're under eating, when we're undernourished, you know, that's where those really deep desires to binge come from. It's actually your body crying out for nor- for more nourishment. It's not some, you know, disorder that you have to like overcome because you don't have willpower. It's because your body is trying to take care of you. It wants more nourishment. It wants more fuel. And it's really easy to get wrapped up in this binge cycle. You know, I remember making, you know, quote, paleo approved desserts like every single night and just eating like several brownies at once and just feeling just gross after it. But I'm like, I'm starving. Absolutely. Well, even like whole 30, you know, trying to bend the rules of like, can I make some weird dessert, you know, out of like bananas and dates and just like call it okay, because you're just desperate for those carbohydrates and, and just more nourishment. And so I think those to me are some of the, the most glaringly obvious issues. Um, and Corey, I'd, I'd love for you to chime in too. Yeah, something I wanted to add was also it might not even be the restrictive diet that is triggering this. We have like been in this space lo- not like a super long time, but long enough to hear enough stories to realize that there is a connection between those who are attracted to restrictive diets because they're coming from a place of disordered eating in the first place. Mm-hmm. And so being in like let's again take keto or maybe we'll take whole 30 or like paleo, I mean, really, really any of them. Um, (laughs) If if you like a lot of people have shared with me that it's like, because they were already in this state of like hyper controlling their life in a lot of areas, food is a really, really easy thing to control. And so it's like, how can I put myself in a state where I have these really strict black and white rules? And then I feel really productive about myself, but I feel really good about Mm -hmm. myself that I'm like checking off these boxes and like, being a good girl, you know, quote unquote, like doing the good things and the right things. And so I think there's a lot of, and this is what I love about the, um, like the metabolic health space is that like, I I think every single quote, like leader or expert in this field is talking about trauma and they're talking about like their childhood story, because a lot of times when we are like presented with this idea of freedom, it's scary because of X, Y, Z. And we have to go back and like really unpack our childhood story Mm -hmm whether it's our bodies or just like being maybe like living in a, in a home that where you didn't feel safe. And so you clung to things that made you feel safe and like made you feel consistent. Mm -hmm. And so it's just really deep and it's really heavy, but it's also really beautiful when people are able to like step into the space of examining and being really honest with yourself of like, why do I feel the need to like restrict like so much in my life? And it's not usually like a simple answer. Mm -hmm. Um, Usually takes some like, 
you know, some layers to pull back. And for me, for me, it was definitely like this, um, this, this need to control that was like, that was the root of me. Like, as far as I used to have like really, really OCD like behavior as far as like tracking my macros and like making sure that I was like eating the exact amount of calories like every single day. Cause I didn't want to gain weight or I didn't want to, like, I just had like this hyper control of like exactly how much I was eating in a day. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but they were in seasons of my life where I needed to like express like major restrictive control over my life. And mm-hmm. so there's always an emotional, spiritual mind component to the things that we, that we go through in our bodies. And yeah, so that's, the, that's something I wanted to like to pull yeah. into the the conversation. No, I think that's so true. Cause even, I mean, it's, it's true. I think about like whenever there's been a couple of times in my life, one was in college and then one was shortly after I went through a lot of trauma with pregnancy loss and complications after surgery and various issues, both times that I kind of fell into really restrictive eating. And one was in the name of appearance and being thin and whatever, but that was in a time that mm-hmm. I felt a lot of chaos in my life. And the other time that that happened was not so much for appearance, but more for this sense of like, it was more in the name of health in air quotes. Um, mm-hmm. And I was, I, I was, I was trying to heal certain things, but it was almost coming. It was born out of a place of, as it, I often say, like my losses were like a catalyst into my health journey or like my healing journey. But that healing journey at first started off very intense and very like restrictive to the point where it was like, I had just come from this like place of trauma and chaos. And so it was like a sense of control that I felt like I had for the first time in a long time. And so it was like, it's interesting how sometimes when you start unpacking that, you're like, oh, what I'm doing to be healthy isn't actually even healthy anymore. You know what I mean? It's like, (laughs) that's the problem. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's it's very important. I I love that you pointed that out because I think that is so key. I want to briefly touch on something you mentioned, Fallon, and then we'll kind of wrap up from here. Mm -hmm. I'd love to talk for like ever, but you touched on (laughs) on nutrients and getting enough nutrients and and kind of in the conversation about diet culture, I think this is a really important note to end on and just like eating mm-hmm. enough um, and getting enough nutrients, especially when you're eating mm-hmm. really restrictive. A lot of times a lot of, you're, you're missing out on a lot of nutrients. One of the reasons I added back in dairy or raw dairy was because I was so low in calcium. And um, mm-hmm. I think that that's something to be aware of when I was getting my minerals checked and everything. But I'd love if you can share, either one of you, how many calories should women be eating? And I know it can vary from person to person, but I just mean like how often mm-hmm. should we be eating? What is the harm that you're seeing with a lot of women today undernourishing their bodies? I would just love if we can end on this note of like, what does it look like to even eat enough? And what are the, what's the state that most of us are living in probably unintentionally? Mm-hmm. Yeah, such a good question. I mean, I think, you know, I, ha- I have kind of a baseline recommendation of 1800 to 2000 calories at minimum for women. And, you know, like you said, that can really, really vary. So, you know, if you're breastfeeding, you might need close to 3000 plus calories. Um, if you're pregnant, you probably need, you know, 2600 plus. And one of the things that I did as part of my business launch was create a calorie calculator on my website so that you can kind of get a picture because, you know, the truth is a lot of calorie calculators that exist right now are just pathetic. You know, they're really not recommending enough because we have to take into account, you know, uh, we have something called our, our ba- basal metabolic rate, and that's the amount of calories that we're burning if we literally just sit there. Mm. For most grown women, that's probably about 1,400 to 1,600 calories. Mm. Now, we pair that with the knowledge that there are certified nutritionists and physicians out there telling women to eat 1,300 calories a day, mm-hmm. and it's just gross. Um, if you look <laughs> at a dietary recommendation for a toddler, 
who, you know, is active, they probably need about 1400 calories Mm -hmm. as like a three or four year old. Mm -hmm. So a grown woman in no world should be consuming, you know, 1400 calories. Mm -hmm. So if we start with the minimum of, okay, if I sat on my couch and did nothing all day long, Mm -hmm. my body would still need 1500 calories. Okay. Well, what about I've got three kids that I'm running after. I exercise a few times a week. I went to the grocery store. I've been doing housework. All of those things factor into the amount of calories that you need. So when you start adding them up, most women, I mean, 1800 is like a minimum. Mm -hmm. Most women who are like moving, breathing, they're raising kids. They've got an active job. They're going to need like 2400 plus. I mean, it really, it just, it's more than you think. It really is more than you think. And then Corey, you know, kind of talked about at the beginning of the episode, you know, it's really important for us to be nourishing consistently Mm -hmm. for most women to keep blood sugar stable and energy up. That's going to be like every three to four hours. There's a lot of women who, you know, moms, especially they're maybe eating breakfast, maybe not. They might eat some goldfish off the floor at lunchtime Mm -hmm. and then it's dinner. Mm -hmm. And that's their, that's their food for the day. You know, we cannot, Mm -hmm. this is why women's bodies are just crumbling. And, um, you know, Corey, I, I don't know if you want to touch on some of the, you know, undernourishing yeah. signs that we're seeing, but it's just almost everything mm-hmm. can in some form be tied back to, are you nourished enough? Yeah, no, it's so totally. true. I mean, and I think the thing is we've just been told for our whole lives, the calories are bad or like too many calories. Mm-hmm. Are bad. And I think we're afraid that if we eat more calories, we'll gain weight. Or as we begin to heal our bodies, we see some weight gain and like, and we see improvement of symptoms, but then weight gain, like that didn't happen to me. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, like now I've got to deal with this, you know? And it kind of freaked me out for a little bit. But at the same time, I'm like, mm-hmm. but I have more energy and my skin's like starting to be a lot more consistently healed. And okay, wait, you know? And I just kind of was like, anyway, so I, I think that that's like a huge fear of women. So I'm, I'm so glad that you pointed that out. And Corey, I know you're going to share something too. So I want to hear that. But I just, I, yeah. I, just, I love that you shared that. Well, I, I have this like, really special time that I get to look back on like anecdotally whenever I was doing macro coaching with women, which is like, uh, I mean, macro coaches, they just kind of like give you kind of like a goal macronutrient minimum to meet in a day. And like, you can do something called a reverse diet. So like what I was doing for a few years was working with women who were under eating and then getting them up to, you know, 2000, 2500 calories without gaining any weight. Cause it would just be like a really slow reverse diet. Hmm. Um, what was so interesting that I look back on that still kind of just like shocks me whenever I think about it is in the years that I was working with women. So we're talking like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of women. There was, I can count on one hand, the amount of people that I ever worked with who their starting place was over 1200 calories. Most of them were starting at like 900 calories a day, thousand calories a day. And we're not even like, so like there's like two different categories. One is the people that knew that they were eating that low because they were told to. So like what, you know, Fallon was saying, you know, nutritionists or doctors who are recommending this, these calorie ranges, there's a, I won't name the name, but there's like a MLM or like a, I guess like an, yeah, an MLM company who they do these, like, I guess you could call it like a detox or a cleanse or whatever. And I remember going to an event one night for, it's kind of like a, a bigger name. And I remember going into an event one time and this woman, I, I saw the calorie ranges for like what the, you know, 12 week cleanse was for. And I was like, Hey, is this recommended for for breastfeeding women, just curious, like just curious, is this recommended for breastfeeding, breastfeeding women? Because the calorie range was a thousand calories, and she was like, "Oh my oh, gosh, yeah. yes, of course, of course, breastfeeding women can do this." And I'm like, "This is, we're talking like borderline, not even borderline. This is dangerous. Mm-hmm. This is this is like absolutely dangerous." And so that's like one category of women who knew that they were under eating and wanted to get out of that. And then the mm-hmm. other category of women were honestly people that just had no idea, and they were like, "What do you mean I'm only eating?" 800 calories a day. Like I thought I was eating way more than this because 
I think what happened with our culture like a few years ago was this idea of volume eating. Mm -hmm. So like, Mm -hmm. I think this is why a lot of people are attracted to, I'm not going to speak for, you know, I'm not going to speak for people that I haven't talked to about this, but a lot of my core students, the reason that they were attracted to, let's say like a plant-based diet Mm -hmm. is because they were already struggling with this idea of like calories are bad, which is what Jordan was alluding to earlier. And so the plant-based diet, it's like, Oh, cool. I can eat a huge plate of lettuce Mm -hmm. (laughs) and like be able to trick my mind into believing that I'm eating a large volume of food. And really, I'm not. I'm not at all. And like, it's it's more of like a mind trick. And again, it's like a lot that you have to unpack and realize like, okay, what is this rooted in the, in the first place? Why do I have a fear of food and eating too much? And a lot of times, and I talk about this in my course, it comes back to childhood and just watching our mother's habits or just like people around us and just seeing what they did. And like, um, I used to speak to young girls in these like diet seminars that I would do. And most of them would be able to tell me what their moms did as far as like a diet habit. Mm. And the top three are always carbs are bad, like avoiding carbs, um, just like not eating at all. So like skipping meals for like a long period of time and then saying that they can't eat any kind of sugar, like dessert is bad. Sugar is bad. Mm. Um, so kids, we absorb these things. And these women, I mean, these girls were as young as like five, six, seven years old. Wow. And so mm. we, we see this, we see it like demonstrated for us. And then we wonder like why we have a fear of foods whenever we grow up. And sometimes it takes a lot of unlearning. That is so true. I hadn't even thought about how much like even a a mother's habit can rub on, rub off and like impact a young five, six, seven, eight year old daughter. Like that's just empower, like not empowerful. What's the right word I'm looking for? Impactful. (laughs) (laughs) Not quite empowering. Um, yeah. I mean, wow. And, and, and it's true. And I think that's where probably a lot of our f- fear of calories and fear of carbs and all of that comes from. Like, it's not just because we woke up one day and we were like, hmm, those must be bad. You know, like we mm-hmm. naturally crave them. So why? And it's going back to that same mm-hmm. question we were talking about around milk and everything else. You guys, this has been so good. I feel like I have like 500 more questions that I want to ask. So we might need to part <laughs> two at some point, but I yeah. want to just yeah. give you a chance to share um, where everyone can find your resources and kind of if, the, if this has been intriguing to them or they're feeling like, okay, I want to learn more. Where should they start with each of you? I know you guys work together, but also have your own resources. So Corey, if you can share a little bit of where they can start with you. And then obviously Fallon, if you can share more of your resources, we'll link all your stuff in the show notes too. Totally. Yeah. So like one of our biggest goals is just making this information like digestible and accessible. And so we really work to put out a lot of free content. If you're like brand new, I actually like, I always recommend not jumping to my course. If someone's interested, if they're like, if they're brand new to this information, like seriously soak up all the free information first, like see if it resonates mm-hmm. with you, like really like check in with your heart, like see if it resonates with you. I just really truly believe that people need to get to a place where they believe that they're doing the best for their bodies and not like listening, you know, blindly to other people. And so Instagram, I have a lot of free content on that. Go through my highlights. I have a free guide. If you click my bio link and then scroll down, there's like all the links to my resources there. So I have a free guide and then there's a link to my podcast, our podcast there that you can jump into. And our, our podcast is actually de- it's like designed to go through in chronological order. So it kind of like eases you in in the beginning. And we talk about more, you know, detailed and in-depth discussions as we move on. Um, but that's a great place to start. I don't really answer my DMs, but if you ever need to reach me, I have a contact form in my bio link. And then, but yeah, the podcast is probably like, I mean, I'm a little mm-hmm. biased, but I think that's, I think that's the best place to start. <laughs> yeah. No, it's mm-hmm. a great wealth of resource. That's it's like a wealth of knowledge and such a great resource. So yes to that. I would have second that. Yes. The podcast is a great place to start. And like Corey said, you know, she and I both really try to dedicate time and energy to things like our Instagram page um, so that you can start 
somewhere, you know, without having to necessarily invest in anything. Um, I have a start here highlight and Corey does too. Um, I try to share a lot about, you know, like cravings, um, kids nutrition, you know, how much should you be eating in a day? How do you know if you're under eating? Um, so that's a great place to dive in. And then my website is fallonstable.com and that's where I have calorie specific meal plans. I have a, a dairy free, um, slash dairy reintroduction meal plan. So, you know, Jordan, like you were saying, <laughs> you and I both sort of went hard and fast with the milk mm-hmm. and, um, there's a better way to do that. So, you know, I, I created a, a meal plan that kind of helps you ease back in if you're coming from a dairy-free diet. And then I have um, a digital cookbook that I launched in December that has a lot of like make-ahead bulk prep style recipes that are just really nourishing and delicious. Um, so yeah, there and my Instagram, I love to connect on there and just kind of share like goofy humor mixed in with nutrition stuff. <laughs> and um, yeah, that's where I'd love to have you come find me. I love it. You guys, thanks for being here. It's been such a gift to get to chat with you and just introduce you to my community and share a little bit of this world and what this what food freedom can really look like. And you guys, as, as you're listening, I just want to close with this note. And I've shared this on my social media before, but what I've really had to learn in my own experience is that food freedom is not one of the extremes. It's not it's not, you know, oh, follow all these rules because that's not freedom, but it's also not just do whatever you want and don't give any cares to it. It's really actually learning to nourish ourselves with the with the foods that God has given us to to nourish ourselves mm. with and not treat something like, you know, I, to, basically to try not to just put a rule on anything, but first to say, how can I use this as a tool or a, a, a resource to nourish my body that God's given me as a good steward? And there's a, there's a, um, a visual that I often think of, I think it's from C.S. Lewis or one of those smart guys, but it talks about how a fish, <laughs> a fish can thrive in water. A fish can thrive in the stream. It's free to thrive when it's in the environment and within the parameters it was designed to thrive in. Um, and I think in the diet culture, it's like there's so many parameters and it can be so restrictive. And in the anti-anti-diet culture, it's almost like eat whatever. There's no such thing as a, as an unhealthy food, whatever. And it's almost like mm-hmm. if you go back to the fish in the stream and you think of yourself similarly, the fish is free to thrive within the parameters he was designed to thrive in. Similarly, we are too when it comes to food and our environment and our lifestyle. Yeah, that you could set the fish free in air quotes and like take him out of the stream and put him on the land and he can do whatever he wants. He doesn't have to stay in the water, but he's not going to thrive there. He's going to struggle to breathe. And that's kind of, I think, what pro-metabolic and a lot of what corn and Corn. Can you guys have a celebrity name? Um, <laughs> what Corey and Fallon teach. It's like, it's true for food freedom about like, you no, know, operate within the parameters you were designed to operate in. There's a ton of freedom there and you can thrive there. You don't have to go on land and just do whatever, but you also don't have to be so restrictive that you aren't getting enough of what you truly need. And I think you bring such a healthy perspective. So you guys, thank you for the wisdom you've shared. Thank you for the guidance, the practical uh, research and everything that you share. And as you're listening, you guys, Go check out their stuff. It's definitely worth it. I have learned so much personally, and I'm just so blessed by your work. So thank you, thank you, thank you for being here. I'd love to hear from you. It makes me so happy to see you tuning into this show. So if you're on Instagram, let me know what your favorite part of the show was by taking a screenshot of the episode you've tuned into and share it on your story. Tag me at Jordan Lee Dooley. And tell me what your favorite quote or takeaway from today's show was so that I can see what's helping you and even feature what you share. This keeps me inspired and encouraged to keep creating new content. And it's a great way to share something that your friends might love too. I can't wait to see you in Instagram world, my friend. Thanks for tuning in. To learn more about the She Podcast or to get involved in Jordan's growing community, visit jordanleedooley.com. 
Thanks for joining in today. Until next time, remain committed to intentional choices that refine your heart, faith, health, and work because your story is much too important to settle for anything less. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.